for the next 30 minutes or so, I want to just talk to you guys about a passage from the Bible that has really been speaking to me lately. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles or open up your app to Daniel 3. I'm going to toss these keys in my pocket to Christian or Lauren because they're just going to distract me all night long. There you go. Um, Hey, and one thing I just wanted to say from the stage for any Tahoma students who um, want to pray for their school with their friends, for the staff, teachers, and to honor uh, the life of Keone, they are doing a prayer at the poll tomorrow at 7.10. So I just wanted to throw that out there for you guys. Um, I think that's a great way uh, for you to invite anyone, welcome anyone. They don't have to be UD. They don't have to be they don't have to be a Christian. We're going to pray and we're going to honor um, Keone, pray for the school, pray for staff and our friends. So um, I just want to invite you guys to be there. I'll be there 710 and I hope to see you. So Daniel 3 is what we're going to talk about tonight. And Daniel 3 has to do with three teenagers and one leader. Three teenagers and one leader. So you could imagine yourself in the story. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm a teenager. That's all of us. We're going we're gonna to imagine ourselves in the story. Or maybe some of you thought, hey, I'm a leader. Maybe you imagine yourself as the leader. You do what you want to do. But we're talking about three teenagers and one leader. And when I was thinking about this, I was brought back in a time warp to a friend of mine. And I think we all have that friend who always has to be the leader. Does anyone have the, that friend who always has to be the leader? It doesn't go away when you're young. Like, you have that friend who you go to their house. They're, point, they're pointing at someone who's sitting in their row. I love it. We have that friend. We go to their house, and they're like, well, it's this way because it's house rules. Like, house rules. When you're little and you're, like, playing, I don't know, playing house, and they're like, you have to be the dad. And you're like, oh, that, it, it's honestly a deep anger of mine from deep, deep childhood wounds. So we have that friend who always has to be the leader. They have to be in charge all the time. Maybe you have that friend you're sitting with them right now, and they always have to set the plan, or it might be a really fun plan to do a sleepover, go to the football game. The next morning you're going to make brunch, and they're like, well, actually, I think we should skip the football game and do this instead. And everyone's like, we're all going to do it, though. We're going to listen to what they said. Okay, I see how it is. And then when you get older, you have that friend who's always going to change the plans at the last minute, too hey, let's go to dinner in Seattle. We made a reservation. Fun. We'll get ice cream. We'll drive back. It'll be great. And they're like, well, I heard of a new place in Tacoma. Like, I already made the reservation. We're not doing that, okay? So you always have that friend who wants to be the leader, who wants to change the plans. And in this story, we have a leader who, not such a great leader. This leader is not only just a leader, but he's the king. He's the king. His name's King Nebuchadnezzar. So really cool name. Definitely want to name your kid that. 2018 baby trend names. So I know, right? It's a good one. Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty evil. Nebuchadnezzar is not on the same page with the God we serve. Nebuchadnezzar actually, he's kind of, he wants people to worship him. He wants to do things his own way. He's not really interested in any other way. So that's how this story starts out. Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to have a couple of the key verses on the screen, but I'm going to paraphrase the story for you. Nebuchadnezzar tells everyone in the whole kingdom, you're going to come to the center court, and when the, you hear the music, he, he names all these musical instruments, and I'm like, 
you didn't need to say the whole band. Like, we know. We know it's the whole. We know it's music. So he's like, when you, when you hear the music start to play, you are all going to bow down, and you're going to physically worship this gold statue I built, and we're, this is going to be our God. So he's like, we're going to worship this idol. And so these three teenage guys, they're in the group. These three teenage guys, they have some unfortunate names as well. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So for any of you who are like, why did my mom name me Caitlin? Like, you have it good, okay? Shout out to Caitlin. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you guys, this is good news for us. This story, we're going to see how it unfolds. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were predicted to be about, predicted is the wrong word, slated, I don't know, to be about 11 to 13 years old at the time this story took place when they're in captivity. So some of us, you're like, you're about to hear what's going to happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're going to go, not me. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could be in that place or imagine myself in that story, and they're even younger than you. So it's, it's pretty crazy to think that God could put a story in the Bible that would speak to us that could be uh, about three teenagers, and that he thinks that three teenagers are pretty darn valuable, that three teenagers deserve to have a story in this book of Daniel. And I think that that's how God feels about each of us, that we have a deep, deep intrinsic value and that our story is worth telling. So King Nebuchadnezzar is declaring that everyone must bow. And in verse, let's see, 12, it says that people went to turn them in. The, the, the te- three teenagers said, you know, they're in the crowd. I mean, imagine a crowd of thousands. Everyone's bowing, and they're just three, and they don't bow. Everyone else is kneeling, and they choose to stand. They get turned in. Someone goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. They're all for King Nebuchadnezzar. It says in the beginning they actually go to him, and the first thing they say is, All hail the king. Like, they're all in for King Nebuchadnezzar, or at least they're too scared to stand up and be different. And they say, hey, there's actually three guys out there, and they are not kneeling. You better go deal with that. So those three get brought in. They get brought in to where King Nebuchadnezzar is at, and he asks them, why aren't you worshiping this idol? Now, for them, I think it would be, so crazy for them to, for this entire group of people to kneel down and worship, I don't know, maybe a volleyball, right? But they, at the time, were so used to kneeling down and worshiping idols in the true form of a statue. I think it says it's like a nine-foot statue. So just this enormous gold statue just chilling, and all those people thought of it as normal, like, hey, well, this is just what we do in our culture. We're going to worship this statue. But for us, we would never kneel down if we had a Maple Valley or a Covington Town meeting and they said, hey, guys, we're all going to kneel this statue now and we're going to, okay, worship it. We'd all be like, you're crazy. We're not going to do that. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of putting our sport first, worshiping our sport, worshiping the approval of people around us worshiping the college that we're going to go to after school, or worshiping how many likes we get on a photo. 
I know almost everyone in this room has probably deleted a photo or thought about it because you didn't get enough likes on it. I'm guilty. So these three guys, they're being commanded to worship an idol. They're being told, hey, this is the way that we're going to do it. And unfortunately, friends, we live in a society where you might have parents, coaches, teachers, even maybe a peer who's sitting in this room who's led you astray to believe that there's an idol in your life that you should be worshiping, that you should put your performance as an athlete first, that you should put your performance as a student first, your, maybe your performance as a daughter, your performance as you know, a servant in your household doing all this work to gain approval. But the problem with all of that is, is that there's one word, performance. And that the thing is that we didn't earn and we can't earn anything in this life. That it was already earned for us on the cross by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And there is no performance, there is no idol that we can worship long enough that we can get down on our knees within a group of thousands that is going to earn us the true approval of the king. Unfortunately, society continued to shame these three teenagers just like it shames all of us when we don't meet expectations, when we don't worship the idol the right way, when we don't get on our knees and say, yeah, I'm going to be a slave to this game. I'm going to be a slave to my schoolwork and put myself up all night so long to where I'm breaking down math, that was me. And when we don't act right, we're not a slave to the idol that's been presented to us, we get brought in for questioning. Now this is the crazy thing that happens is it doesn't get easier for them. They're already ostracized, people are already pointing the finger, saying look at what these guys are doing, they are not meeting expectations. It says this, in verse 15, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the music. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? What God will be able to rescue you from my power? I want to talk about three things that society does to blind us from worshiping our true God. We stay stuck following idols, and it all comes out of what King Nebuchadnezzar threatens right here. The first thing is time. We get so caught up fearing the timeline of our lives that if I don't have this done by this age, I am not cutting it. If I'm not on varsity by the time I'm a junior, I'm nothing. The second thing we allow to blind us is fear. I would fear a furnace. I have to be honest, I don't like fire. I'm afraid of burning myself when I light a candle. So this fear that they're experiencing is real, but the fear that we have in our lives when we don't meet the expectations of these idols that have been set in place in front of us are different, and they go deeper. Isolation. If I'm not on the team anymore, what's going to happen? 
that's my crew. I know I might not be the best, but I, I have to find a way to stay in. Otherwise, who do I sit with? Who do I talk to? I'm not going to know what's really going on. They're going to think I'm a loser. We have the fear of being ostracized, the fear of being different. And we're going to get to this later, but can I tell you that you weren't made to be normal, that you were actually made to be different, that if you're living a true life for Christ, you would live differently and people would see you differently and you wouldn't just blend in? The third thing we fear is disappointment. We fear disappointing others. Maybe your parents don't say it, but you can feel the disappointment when you come back and tell them how things are really going at school or how your friendship really is with that person, why they don't come around anymore. Sometimes we like to say, well, yeah, they did this or that, and we know. We know that we were really the one who was the perpetrator. We're the reason the friendship didn't work out. We can't disappoint our parents like that. We can't disappoint this whole crowd of people if they really knew why we weren't there last Wednesday. We can't disappoint our coach and tell them the truth that our ankle actually really does hurt and we're just going to play through it. But then something happens with the disappointment that we feel in our lives, with the fear, with the pain we feel in our lives, and something different happened with these three teenagers. Ultimately, they will not bow. They tell King Nebuchadnezzar, no, I actually, I actually have a different God. I know some, some other truths that your fear, your threats of disappointment, your threats of pain, that can't get to me. He was so furious that they wouldn't bow, that they wouldn't succumb to the threats that he throws them into the fire. It says that he, told, he was so angry that they wouldn't conform to what he wanted them to do that he said, turn the fire seven times hotter. If you don't know, seven is the number of completion. So this just shows the extremity of how much, how much anger King Nebuchadnezzar had over this. And I think we feel this. We feel the flame of that in our lives, of just how different we would have to be for people to be that mad. But maybe some of us have felt it. Maybe we've, we've said to our friends, hey, that's not the way I'm going anymore. I'm going to leave. And we've felt how ostracizing that can be. We felt like the flame was turned seven times hotter. But that's kind of what comes with living a life for Christ, that the stakes get higher because we know the truth about our life. We know that we have a greater purpose. And we know that the risk is so worth the reward In the blazing furnace, it says this, that King Nebuchadnezzar ultimately says, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If we go back a couple verses here. Oh, not those verses. It says this. In verse 21, they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed. And because the king, in his anger, demanded such a hot fire, 
it even killed three of his own men as they were throwing them in. But suddenly, in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? He's like just checking with his guys for his own sanity. He's like, is that what just happened? Was I delusional? And they go, yes, king, we, we definitely just did that. They're definitely in the fire right now. He says, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth man, he looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. When we start to live our lives in faith, we start to see God walking right there with us. It doesn't mean that the pain, that the fear of being different, of being ostracized, of being outed and pushed out, that the disappointment we might temporarily feel from a leader or a parent or a coach in our life, it doesn't mean it's going to go away, but God was in the fire right there with them. That when they felt the most extreme pain, they're in a fire, what the heck? I don't know about you, but there's really no consequences in my life where I either do what you want me to do or I go in a fire. And yet they did that for God. And he was right there with him experiencing all of the pain that they could possibly feel, all of the fear, all of the anticipation for what could happen in that fire, right there with him. That a king who was so self-focused, he built a nine-foot statue, just a metal statue for people to worship. He is so amazed that he points it out and says, hey, you guys come here. We're going to worship your God from now on. And I think that there's some teenagers in this room who you're just like these three teenagers, and you have a faith that has been held back inside, but there's circumstances in your life that are going to ask you, are you going to worship this idol or are you going to stand for your faith? All three of these teenagers, when they went and talked to King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, hey, we would rather die than worship your God. But what gods do we have in our life that we said, actually, God, I would definitely not rather die. I would rather put football on a throne, worship football, see you one time a week on Wednesdays, and that's going to be good enough for me because I don't want to talk about God to my peers. That's too uncomfortable. What if someone's disappointed in me because I don't want to party with them anymore? What if I'm just fearful because I'm insecure and I don't know how to talk about God? Guess what? None of us know how to talk about God. We just start doing it. There's no perfect answer. There's no, re there's no I can't give you a formula for why I talk to my friends about, vo my volleyball friends about God other than I had so much love and protection from Jesus in my life that I had to share it. There's no right way, there's no wrong way, but I believe that there are teenagers in this room who you're ready to stand up and you're ready to stand strong for your faith and say, even in a room of thousands, I would rather die. We have to choose to reject the fear that any idol that the enemy, that anyone around us would try to impose on our lives. And we have to choose to claim Christ as the king. See, God didn't just come down. There wasn't just like this angel figure in the crowd. They had to, they had to up the stakes. They had to tell the king, hey, we're not going to bow. 
and God showed up in the fire. So we have to claim Christ as king before it's even necessary. We have to claim and know now that even when the circumstance comes, that we've already decided that God has the victory. We've already decided that God is going to prevail. We've already decided that all my friends are going to come to church with me on a Wednesday after our game because that's just what it is. I know. I'm deciding right now that I'm going to follow Christ. I'm deciding right now, Cameron Larson, that I'm going to start a prayer at the pool tomorrow. Not because it feels fun, not because I'm super secure in myself, but because I know that this is the right thing to do. Three things that we can do to reverse the fear, to reverse the pain, to reverse the disappointment. Number one is we filter our decisions through hope. We choose to say that even when we feel like there's no good way out, we feel like, hey, you know, there's actually just no way my friend is going to come to church. There's actually just no way my friend who sits next to me in science would want to come. We say, you know what? Maybe if I was Christ-like, maybe if I was starting to follow the way Jesus was in the Bible, I would have hope for people. I'd believe in people before they believed in themselves. And I would filter my decision through the view of hope. Maybe when I know that I have to tell my parents disappointing news or I have to own a decision that I've made, that instead of having a pessimistic view and getting overwhelmed, that I would say, hey, I'm going to pray about this and I'm going to have hope that God knows how this conversation is going to go. Number two is this. We believe that the pain and the trials we go through help us to be who God has called us to be. For me, this goes right along with what Noel shared a little bit about, is that I was very passionate about bringing my, my teammates specifically to church with me. And it's because I knew how much pain there is in needing to perform. And I know for so many of us in this crowd, whether you're an athlete, whether you're on a stage in some way, or whether you just get that report card that goes home with you, that there is so much performance put on you and telling you if you're valued or if you're nothing. But we have to know that we have a God who doesn't value us on our performance even when everyone else does. That there is nothing we could do to earn God's love. That there is no way that we can be bad enough to do without God's love, but that he loves us unconditionally. And when we feel the pain of performance like I did in high school where I just felt like, you know what, I'm just not good enough. And if people, don't, if people find out I didn't start in this game, I'm going to look like a fraud. I'm going to look like I'm not as good as I said I was. I'm going to look like, you know, if I just got fitter, if I just increased my vertical, if I just did this, 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 and this, then I wouldn't, you know, I would just be, I would just feel so much better about myself. But the truth of the matter is that that pain, we have to know, is preparing us for who we were called to be. And I thank God that I felt that pain because when I now coach my players, I know what to say and what not to say. Some of us have bottled up our story so much that we are holding back from helping someone else. And I believe that there are many kids in this room and you feel like, hey, I'm just a kid 
So were these three guys. They might have been 11 years old. What the heck are we doing not sharing our story? God's given you a story for a reason. He put you in the family you're in for a reason. And he's ready for you to start acting in your sphere and speaking to the people that are around you. Number three is this, as I invite the band to come up. There is no result that alters my position in life or my position with God. There is no result that can alter who you are in Christ. There is no result that can alter where you stand in this life. The amazing thing about these three teenagers is that they got the worst result. It wasn't where the story ended. We saw, hey, you have a punishment here. You have a choice. Either worship this God, conform to society, or die. Well, guess what? They got the fire option. It didn't go so well for them. There was no grace involved. And yet God was with them in that fire. God was with them when they were getting set ablaze. Some of you feel like you're getting set ablaze right now. You feel like you are set ablaze in your school for the decisions you make. You feel like you're set ablaze. And maybe you feel like it's by your own choice that you've put yourself there, that the the decisions you've made have put you into a fire. But we need to know that God chose to be with them. He didn't have to. And God chooses to be with us in every scenario of our lives. No matter how bad we think it's gonna get, we're not in a fire burning up. And yet God was still there too. So don't you think God could be with you when you make that really difficult decision? Don't you think God could be with you during your parents' divorce? Don't you think God could comfort you? I want us to all close our eyes right now. just think about these two statements. I'm not based on what I do, but who I am. Who I am comes from whose I am. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that they knew whose they were. That there was no circumstance in their life no idol set up before them that just seemed so normal for everyone else that would distract them from knowing that the one true God was who they were going to worship. I think there are some people in this room tonight who are ready to make the decision that there is nothing that can hold you back from dismissing the idols in your life and truly putting God on the throne. I think there are some people in here who maybe you decided a long time ago to follow Jesus, but you're recognizing now that you don't want to go in the fire. That maybe you can't say the same as these three guys did, that you'd rather die than worship another God. Maybe you're saying, no, I worship that other God every day. I worship the God of my pride. I worship the God of my success. I worship the God of being cool. I worship the God of my feed being the best. 
And I think it's time for us to recognize what that is and give God the true praise, give him the true glory and put him back onto the throne of our lives. Let's all stand together. As we begin to sing, I wanna invite you forward if this is a declaration that you are ready to make, that you're ready to say, there's something I'm, I need to give up. The person next to you doesn't need to know what it is. This is a time between you and God to say, God, I wanna have the kind of faith that these three teenagers had. I feel inspired knowing that I can go into my school, that I can go back to my family, and I don't have to be afraid of the outcomes because who I am isn't based on performance. I'm based on my value that you give me. If that's you, just continue to come forward and worship. And we're gonna take the next few minutes to give God the true praise, to put him back on the throne of our lives. And I believe that as we worship, that God is going to begin to reveal ways to you that you can be like these three teenagers in your school, that you can be like these three teenagers in your family, that we don't have to be held back by fear, by the thought of pain, by the thought of disappointment, but we know that the pain we go through in our lives brings growth, that God has a plan for everything we've been through, everything we're going through. Let's worship him tonight.